When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a crowd podcast. We didn't start the fire. The only podcast started by me, Billy Joel. <laughs> Birth control. Ho Chi Minh. Uncle Ho. Ho, ho, ho. Hello again, and welcome to episode 98 of We Didn't Start the Fire, the history podcast based on Billy Joel's pop opus that set the syllabus to school us on the headlines, heroes, and villains of the late 20th century. I'm Katie Puckrick. I'm Tom Fordyce. Tom, I'm kind of wondering how we got to where we are today, because Billy thinks it might have something to do with Ho Chi Minh. Now, Ho Chi Minh, another Cold War cutie. The Vietnamese revolutionary and leader who, through dogged determination and unremitting craftiness, kept both the French and the Americans from taking over Vietnam. Katie, he's one of the seismic figures of 20th century history. Slightly strangely, I've been to his mausoleum because in Hanoi... There is still the pickled preserved shape of a very small Ho Chi Minh. You can go and see him. Is he as delicious as a pickle? (laughs) I didn't lick his feet. I don't know. Okay. What is your connection or your experience or your prior knowledge of Ho Chi Minh? Uh, Zero. Mm. Nothing. Nothing. These are the kind of episodes I relish when we're doing this podcast because I get to learn and uh, I get to kind of connect the dots because it turns out in my little pre-research that uh, there's quite a few moments of intersection with a lot of other we didn't start the fire topics. And also, he's one of those fellows... There's a few of them in this song. Billy likes to kind of throw us a few curveballs. People who were born in the 1800s, I'm thinking of whether it's Mao Zedong or uh, Charles de Gaulle, Zhuan Lai. So by the time they show up in, in We Didn't Start the Fire, the bulk of their life has already been lived and their youthful picaresque adventures have already happened. So they're, they're very front-loaded characters. And Ho Chi Minh's one of those front-loaded characters. Yeah, so we think he's in this song at this point, Katie, because in 1969 he dies. He's 79 years old. Slightly embarrassingly, I actually thought he survived till the end of the Vietnam War sometime later. But Katie, we have someone with us who can put us right on all our wrongs. Good. Our guest today is Olga Draw, Professor of History at Texas A&M University and Fellow of Collegium de Lyon in France. Welcome to We Didn't Start the Fire, Olga. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Olga, we want to learn all about Ho Chi Minh. But before we dive right back into the start of his life, just give us a very brief summary of why he is such a huge figure in 20th century history. Wow. He is known for many, many accomplishments. But uh, perhaps why he became so well known in the first place, he was the first uh, president of the Democratic Republic of Vietnam when it was a Established in 1945, he proclaimed 
independent Vietnam uh, that until that time was colonized by France and uh, later during World War II by Japan. Ho Chi Minh led the organization called Viet, Viet Minh, the union, the coalition of different forces, communist and non-communist, but anti-colonialists uh, that fought for independence of their country. Yeah. So Ho Chi Minh is one of those stalwart characters in history whose whole gig seems to be to midwife a nation. He just has a conviction from the very beginning that the Vietnamese need to kick out all the colonizers and take over the reins. Where does this conviction first emerge? What are the early signs? Well, it depends uh, on what materials you rely. Uh, Vietnamese materials, communist party materials, the party line is that he uh, was uh, raised in a family that had strong anti-colonial inclinations and that he was raised in this uh, spirit. Uh, we don't know why exactly he left Vietnam, which he left in 1911. When he travels the world, he becomes more convinced that he needed to fight to make his country independent. And it was very important for him he becomes one of the founding members of the French Communist Party in hopes that the French would help him. Uh, the Communist Party was not interested in this, so he left for the Soviet Union. He isn't a revolutionary Olga who is all about the theories. This is a man who gets his hands dirty, who does the sort of jobs that a lot of revolutionaries don't. And some of these jobs... Uh, Katie, we found this quite charming, didn't we, in our yeah. research? The fact that he works in the kitchen on a French merchant steamer, that's how he leaves Vietnam. He lives in New York, he lives in West Ealing in London, he lives in Crouch End in North London. At one point, he is the pastry chef on the New Haven to Dieppe ferry. I like this. He's uh, This is what I was going to get into with you, Olga, was, um, you know, you always get the CV, the resume, at the end of a, a person's accomplished life, where you just a accept that there's some kind of action adventurer. But it's interesting to see, like, oh, these are the nuts and bolts of how you get yourself the heck out of Dodge and around the world. Because can you give us a sense of what he looked like? He was a very small man, wasn't he? Yes, he, he was... Uh, like four foot 11 or something I read? No, I think he was over five feet tall. Okay, we'll give him that. Probably his enemies were trying to diminish him. But <laughs> but I guess what I'm thinking is, I, I have this idea, you see these pictures of him as an elderly man with a wispy beard, and he's, you know, he's, he's pretty desiccated. And you think, like, how does somebody, okay, he was a young man, he had that vim and vigor, he must have had so much gumption and grit to propel himself into this strange world and to learn all these languages. Absolutely. And it's very interesting. First of all, if we talk about how tall he was, it depends uh, at what period of time we're talking about. <laughs> okay. Because as as we all, he he shrank, right? <laughs> as true. we all, not do. me. I'm not going to shrink. <laughs> he had incredible charisma, incredible will. A lot of this is actually a myth that he helped to create. We don't know that he ever was in the United States. No documents were found about it. There was a special team who worked uh, 20 years ago who tried to find traces of his appearance 
in the United States, but there is no confirmation about it. So he's excellent at making myths, but it does sound like he definitely was in Moscow. What was he getting up to there? Because that was quite formative. Yes, this story relies on his biography that was written by himself under a different name. Uh-huh. He describes his uh, travels, uh, how modest he was, <laughs> and it was not supposed to be known that it was him because the book starts that uh, President Ho Chi Minh is very, very modest and he doesn't uh, want to bother people with his uh, details of his life. And so he writes this book. And he is really the most enigmatic leader perhaps in the world in a sense, there are huge periods of time that we don't know much about. But it is evident at the beginning of the 1920s, he is in France and he is disillusioned that the French, even the French communists, they didn't want to help to liberate Vietnam. So he thinks that he has to go to the Soviet Union in hopes that the Soviets would help him. And uh, he becomes the agent of uh, Comintern, of uh, Communist International, the organization that united communists from different parts of the world under uh, the leadership of the Soviet Union. He seems, Casey, sometimes Ho Chi Minh, like a Vietnamese Forrest Gump. In yeah. that he appears at all these major points in history, one of them being the Treaty of Versailles all the way back in 1919, when he takes this concept that's being used as part of the settlement, the idea of self-determination, and thinks to himself, well, this will work for Vietnam. And he's slightly horrified when it doesn't seem to work if you're not European. Right. The other thing, the other little detail I love from this time, Katie, and you'll understand why when I explain this story. Apparently, he worked for a French magazine in about 1922, and he had this idea that he wanted French sports writers to no longer use English terms when they were describing French things. So there was a, you would talk about le manager, or you would talk about le round or le knockout. So I love this idea that he's that bothered about these things that he's actually going to sports writers, my old job, and say, no, 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 come up with your own language. So I thought, hang on, did it actually work? Are French managers still called Le Manager? Well, I don't think they are. Now, Olga, you speak French, I know, so you might be able to help me out here. But I think that someone like Didier Deschamps, who is the current manager of the French national team, I think he's known as the entraîneur rather than the manager. So maybe Ho Chi Minh, Katie. (gasps) He's had effects in ways we know and effects in ways we never even guessed. The butterfly effect. So he's the ultimate busker, it seems. He's sort of a political busker. It's just absolutely boggling how Ho Chi Minh keeps bouncing around from country to country, learning, teaching, politicking. Maybe he's getting into a little bit of spying. He gets imprisoned at one stage. Tell us about that. Yes. So he was imprisoned more than once. And the French actually convicted him in absentia because he leaves Vietnam in 1911. He doesn't come back until 30 years later. So for 30 years, he's all over the world anywhere but in Vietnam. He, uh, 19, the beginning of the 1930s, he's in uh, Hong Kong and he is uh, sentenced by the French in absentia. And the Hong Kong authorities arrest him. The French ask uh, to extradite him to Indochina, which was their colony. Uh, the Brits, whose colony Hong Kong was at the time, they agree to this. 
Suddenly, something happens. A British lawyer appears and he argues his case and manages to reverse the decision and he is not extradited. And he gets back to the Soviet Union. The official story is that it was the communist who helped him. But uh, when he gets to the Soviet Union, the Soviets ask him, how the hell you get got out of the prison? It's not like they knew. And he refuses to answer. The Soviets are suspected that he was a double agent. Right. He refuses to answer. And basically, for several years, he is in the Soviet Union. He is not in, imprisoned, but he is not allowed to do anything of political uh, significance. There was a committee organized to judge what he had done there because it was not only how he got out of the prison, but there was a cell, a Vietnamese communist uh, anti-Chinese cell that was busted and he was suspected. Well, this committee decided uh, that he was kind of responsible, but it's not that he it was his intention, it's just because he was inexperienced. What we know that he lived in the Soviet Union through the most difficult time, the purges, Stalin purges. Yeah. He never ever discussed or denounced anything. Because the story goes that after World War II, he'd sent several letters to Truman begging for assistance to get the French out. And the letters went unanswered. And that's why he turned, perhaps this is simplistic, but that's why he turned to to the USSR and China for help. But it seems that uh, it could have gone either way. Like if the US said, sure, we'll, we'll assist you as an emerging nation, he could have just like put the communism on hold, on the back burner, and just said he was a nationalist. Well, it's it's always uh, very interesting to consider this idea, but it was not, uh, geopolitical situation in the world was not such that the United States uh, could entertain this idea because the United States was not interested in Vietnam or in the China at all. Mm. Uh, what the United States was interested in was France. The communist movement there was very strong and the French were blackmailing Americans. You either help us or we might go communist. That's the threat that always works, isn't it, with America? Why were medieval priests so worried that women were going to seduce men with fish that they'd kept in their pants? Who was the first gay activist? And what on earth does the expression sneezing in the cabbage mean? Well, I'll tell you, it's not a cookery technique, that's for sure. Join me, Kate Lister, on Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast where we will be bed-hopping throughout time and civilization to bring you the quirkiest and kinkiest stories from history. What more could you possibly want? Listen to Betwixt the Sheets today, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. A podcast by History Hit. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Hello, Fire listeners. It's Tom here. I hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people we talk about in this series definitely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. 
Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way that your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Fire listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com WDSTF, as in, we didn't start the fire. So, that is betterhelp.com WDSTF. Eat stress-free this spring with Factors delicious ready-to-eat meals. Always fresh and never frozen, each meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. I eat flexitarian, so with a weekly menu of 35 options, there's plenty for me to choose from. So last night I had the Moroccan-style almond-crusted salmon. It was absolutely delicious. These are no-fuss, no-mess meals. Factor eliminates the hassle of prepping, cooking or cleaning up. Simply heat and savour the good stuff. With over 60 add-ons like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks and smoothies, there's plenty of options to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. Plus, you can customise your weekly meals and pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash WDSTF50 and use the code WDSTF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code WDSTF50 at factormeals.com slash WDSTF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Talk to us about uh, his new identity, a little bit like uh, Madonna keeps changing his look, uh, changing his style, genre of music. So he's changed his name to Ho Chi Minh. What's the big idea there and what does it actually mean? Ho Hu in lights. Ho is another family name, not family name. It's a clan name because there are no family names in uh, Vietnam in general. For him, I think it was a break from what uh, he uh, was abroad and now he was closer to his country. There are also different rumors that Ho Chi Minh, who came to Vietnam, was not Ho Chi Minh, who left Vietnam in 1911. Oh, a whole different person. A whole different person. Oh. But I, I, do, I don't think so. Because That's messy. We, we have pictures from uh, Surete, uh, uh, the police in uh, France, uh, the security service and he had very distinctive ears it can be seen that it's the same ears he comes to vietnam he enters the territory of vietnam as ho chi minh as the person bringing the light and when people ask him are you and and when i cook the same person he never he doesn't want ever to give any details 
He wants to keep the mystery. Mm. Mystery is his thing. He's even mysterious about his activity with the ladies because as he moves around the world, he has、uh, different companions. And yet, at one point in my research, I came across some detail that he was insisting that he was celibate because、uh, didn't have any time for that sort of、uh, roister doistering. He had his、uh, masculine essence was focused on the project of Vietnam. We do know that he was married. Uh, a couple of times, apparently he had some uh, uh, illegitimate kids. But his idea was that I'm the head, actually, of my nation. The nation is my family, and、uh, it is forbidden、uh, to still talk about、uh, Ho Chi Minh's、uh, women in Vietnam. Oh, and for for example, Bill Dyker he wrote a biography of Ho Chi Minh、yeah. that Vietnamese liked quite a lot. But they said that they would need to remove his mentioning of of women, and he said no. And、uh, so the book is stuck. Why is that a problem? He's not allowed to be a human being. Are they trying to turn him into a deity of some sort? He tried to turn himself、uh, to this modest、uh, deity. It's very strange because those other presidents who were revolutionary,、uh, Mao didn't make any secret that、uh, he had、uh, wives. Not to mention all his love for young girls. Uh, but uh, Stalin had wives,、uh, Sukarno,、uh, everyone. Olga, there's a phrase that has、uh, popped up in the research that Katie and I have done that's left us slightly puzzled, and that is the kissing president. Can you explain more? Yes, he、uh, showed incredible warmth when he would meet other people, and it should be noted that in Asia in general, people don't kiss left and right. It was taken from the Soviet Union because the Soviet leaders、uh, they loved to kiss, and there are some very interesting pictures of、uh, Brezhnev kissing with Honecker, the leader of、uh, the German Democratic Republic. But Ho Chi Minh took it into a completely different point because、uh, we see some、uh, scenes、uh, him meeting Mao, and he is trying to kiss Mao all over, and Mao is trying to escape from him. <laughs> he was always very warm to children. He would give them、uh, candies, and they would、uh, he he would kiss them. Well, he comes to Indonesia for an official visit, and he kisses a lot of children there, including girls. People there. Uh, did not take kindly to it. They thought that it was not really something appropriate. Unlike again, unlike Mao, who loved、uh, young girls to sleep with, Ho Chi Minh. I don't think he had any inclinations like that. Even though、uh, apparently his last、uh, love interest was a young person, but it, she was not a child in any way. Katie, shall we get into、yes. what feels like the meat that Billy has served us up here, which is the <laughs> what we could call the Second Indochina War or the Vietnam War, if you're American, or if you're Vietnamese, the American War, the American War. So, Olga, is that war, whichever term we choose to define it by, is that inevitable? As soon as those Geneva Accords have happened, is there something in Ho Chi Minh which isn't ever going to settle for two Vietnams, for a North Vietnam and a South Vietnam, that in his mind he wants to reunify the nation? He never made a secret that he would like two Vietnams to be united. 
but under socialist or communist regime, under his regime. After Geneva, uh, the Geneva Accord, when Vietnam was divided into two parts, Ho Chi Minh actually initially favored uh, to build a strong North Vietnam and then to get to South Vietnam. At the end of uh, 1959, beginning 1960, Ho Chi Minh actually loses his power. He becomes more a symbol. And it is two people from the South who are more belligerent and they want to unify Vietnam now. It doesn't seem that Ho Chi Minh was in favor of this, but he was definitely supporting it uh, as soon as it came really to the war, even if he was not behind uh, this. For Americans, it was the Vietnam War because it was a country where the war took place. But American war, we have to be very uh, cautious when we use this term because it was the term that was used by the communists. We completely eliminate the people in South Vietnam who didn't want to live under communism. As much as it was uh, part of the Cold War, it was a civil war. That's an interesting perspective. I hadn't ever considered that as well, that there was conflicts within Vietnam about the direction of the war. Olga, what is it about Ho Chi Minh that makes him so iconic amongst those protesting against the war in the West? This person who is so small physically, with his beard, with his kissing, (laughs) with all the difficulties in Vietnam, he was no Stalin and no Mao. He didn't kill those uh, millions and millions of people. Nevertheless, he was creating an autocratic state. But it was the state that withstand imperialism. We don't discuss that it was democracy that brought the United States out of Vietnam. And in many ways in France too, it was because people went uh, out to the streets. And uh, the Vietnamese from the very beginning of the war, the communists, uh, they had, they were very smart. They had a very clear idea that militarily we cannot win this conflict, but we will win it in the streets of the United States. And this is what happened. That's very clever. That's a very interesting rephrasing. Now, I read that Richard Nixon sent a letter to Ho Chi Minh in 1969 asking for a stop to the fighting. Maybe he he misplayed it because he peppered the letter with threats. And Ho Chi Minh's response is basically, thanks for the letter. <laughs> like, like no response, in other words. Diplomacy wasn't really getting anywhere with regard to America's desire to end the war? Well, diplomacy did eventually get Americans out of the war. With Nixon's letter, I think it was written in on July 15th, 1969. Yeah, it was in the summer. I told yeah. you that starting from 1960, Ho Chi Minh uh, was uh, kind of sidelined politically. In July, he could not write this letter. Oh, okay. So he would have been ailing by that time, by mid-July. He was ailing, and uh, what uh, they present as his letter, it's a thing that is typed. Usually, 
if they want to prove that it's original, it would be written by hand. Uh-huh. This is beyond the point because the Vietnamese at that point, they didn't want, they had this uh, Tet Offensive 1968, which was militarily completely disastrous for communists, but uh, a great political success. And people in the United States, they came out in the streets so Vietnamese were politically in a pretty good position, but I had very strong doubts that Ho Chi Minh himself, because the letter is quite long. I mean, it's a couple of pages. He, he, he was in very bad shape by that time. How does the nation react when he dies? North Vietnam is uh, in deep mourning. People feel like... Uh, they lost a great figure, and this is what uh, Ho Chi Minh himself and his entourage were building this uh, uncle figure. Moreover, in South Vietnam, when I talk about South Vietnam, there were communist forces, and they mourn Ho Chi Minh deeply. And a lot of uh, foreign dignitaries come, but as you perhaps know, he died uh, not on the day when it was announced, because he died September 2nd. This is their Independence Day, so they didn't want to sour the mood of celebration. They announced it uh, a day later, and it was only in, uh, I think, 1989 that uh, they decided to announce his real date of death. So what happened, Olga, after he died in terms of his death having an effect on the progress of the war? There were very difficult negotiations in um, 1972. Americans were trying to negotiate some better conditions for South Vietnam. And Vietnamese just left negotiations. And then uh, when happened the Christmas bomb in 1972, when Americans bombed really mercilessly after uh, not bombing for quite a long time, and it made Vietnamese to come back to the table. They signed an agreement uh, of which South Vietnamese who were not communists were very unhappy because they basically abandoned uh, South Vietnamese. Americans would leave in 1973. And for two years, South Vietnam fought against communists by itself. And when Americans leave, the Soviet Union and China, they still support North Vietnam and South Vietnam stands alone. So April 30th, 1975, it's the fall of Saigon. I love this line, Olga, from an Australian journalist during the fall of Saigon. So this is April 1975. So it's pretty much five and a half, six years since the death of Ho Chi Minh. And this journalist talks about the references to Ho Chi Minh on the tanks from the soldiers and says when the North Vietnamese marched into Saigon they were led by a man who wasn't there which gives you that indication of the power that he still had all those years later yes absolutely because uh, he was uh, building himself as a symbol his entourage built and they were very very successful you uh, mentioned seeing him in the mausoleum this is what the party wanted Ho Chi Minh didn't want to be uh, put into the mausoleum this was the party violating his wishes that put him there because they needed him as a unifying and mobilizing force. And uh, they still evoke him very often 
it's it becomes more and more difficult because each generation sees farther and farther away. What's the current political system now in the unified Vietnam? Until... Uh, Mid-1980s, so for 10 years, Vietnam was in a terrible economic situation, terrible. The inflation was like 400% a year. A lot of people started to question whether it was worth fighting first French than Americans to get this. Uh, when the Soviet Union started its perestroika, Vietnamese also started their renovation period. And uh, now it's a very interesting system. They proclaim still that they are a socialist country building communism. There is no any free speech in Vietnam. So the, there is this problem. But the economy is capitalist, is practically capitalist. Olga, Ho Chi Minh was absolutely such a resolute leader. He, he didn't seem to be motivated by power or greed or great clothes or money. Uh, but there must have been something that drove him. I mean, obviously, the man had an ego, but he was definitely playing the long game. How do you think that he, he stacks up against other leaders that surrounded him at the time, your Stalins, your Maos, your Charles de Gaulle? How, how do you think he stacks up on the, on the world leader sweepstakes? I think he's an extraordinary person, really extraordinary person. He was motivated uh, by a love uh, for his country and uh, to achieve this uh, by the methods that he saw fit. Olga Jor, thank you so much for coming on We Didn't Start the Fire. Thank you for filling the heads of Katie and me and all our listeners with so much knowledge about Ho Chi Minh. Thank you so much and uh, I hope to hear and see you soon. I gotta hand it to, to Uncle Ho. He's in it for the long game. And uh, he's just doty doing his way through every happening country in the world, making some pastries on the side. <laughs> yeah, and he stuck it out. And in the end, he got what he wanted, Katie, He got he? what he wanted. The and longest of long games. The longest of long games. And sort of slyly ghost wrote his own biography yeah. in a very favorable fashion, akin somewhat to writing your own Wikipedia entry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the equivalent, the 20th century equivalent. Yes. I like the fact that he went for the uncle. Monica, because we often hear about revolutionary leaders being the father of the nation, yeah, which is fine, but fathers can be quite strict, can't they? Well, uncles tend to be more fun, they tend to be more avuncular, yeah, because the, yes, they have a sort of disciplinary role, but not the extent that a father does. So I think people can feel sort of very fond about uncles, yeah. So I think that was a, quite a clever thing he did there. You know, I'm not really your boss. I'm sort of a friendly boss. Yeah, I, I might uh, I might cast a stern look in your direction <laughs> if you're getting kiss. out of hand. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> or a handsy kiss, <laughs> one or the other. If you would like another podcast to listen to, why not go back and listen to our other episodes about Vietnam? DM Bien Phu with historian and host of the History Hit podcast, Dan Snow. That's a really, really good one. Oh, yeah, that's great. Make sure you check it out if you haven't already. And if you'd like to get in touch with a story or a guest idea, we are all ears. You can contact us on email at fire at crowdnetwork.co.uk or on social media. We are at Spread That Fire on Instagram and Twitter. And make sure you check out our merch collection at spreadthatfire.com. Katie, next week we have someone coming back 
Black, who has already appeared and will then appear for a third time. He is someone you referenced who wrote a very long letter to Ho Chi Minh. It is Tricky Dicky. Tricky Dicky. Richard Nixon back again. I can't wait, can't get enough of that funky stuff. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. History is the greatest adventure story. But does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.